0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Yesterday, I spoke with DPS Skis founder, Stefan Drake, about the new DPS 1920 product lineup and about two new skis they are introducing for their DPS Dreamtime event, which officially runs from July 15th to August 1st. And while the two new skis are certainly interesting, what is arguably even bigger news is the new tour construction that DPS is employing in these two skis. In short, this new construction incorporates foam. Yes, I said foam. Now, I realize that the words foam core probably just triggered about 35% of the people listening to this, and you can count me among that 35%. So, of course, I pressed Stefan on this, But as you'll hear, he wasn't exactly backing down, and he is making a very interesting case that I am sure you are going to want to hear. But that is most definitely not all. Stefan also breaks some news about their Koala skis, and in particular the Koala 119. He gives an update on the DPS ski boots that he and I spoke about over on the Blister podcast a couple years ago. It was episode number 38. And you should very much listen to that conversation if you haven't already. And we then wrap up our conversation by talking about some new developments and some new data regarding DPS Phantom Base Glide treatment. So yeah, there is a whole lot going on in this conversation that any self-respecting gearhead is going to want to hear about. And yeah, taking a step back for a second, it has been a wild couple of weeks of conversations around here about innovations in materials, ranging from our conversation with Gorilla Gravity over on our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast, then there is the commercial release of Tyga's electric snowmobiles, which we talk about over on our Blister podcast, and now we're talking about something like Foam 2.0. As some Toronto Raptors fan once put it, what a time to be alive. So let's go ahead and get to my conversation with DPS founder, Stefan Drake. And just a heads up, we will put in the show notes to this episode, links to my other three conversations with Stefan, and you should definitely check all of those out too. Okay, here we go. Stefan, how are you? I am doing well, Jonathan. Good. And, uh... Where are you currently? I am sitting
1: in DPS HQ in downtown, more, almost downtown Salt Lake City, where we just moved um, to a couple months ago, a new factory space and new office space. So, yeah, I'm in here in a semi dark cave of an office <laughs> um, on a very hot day in Salt Lake.
0: Okay. Well, I want to, I'd love to get a bit of an update on the factory and this newer space you're in.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really good thing for us because we repatriated manufacturing in um, 2014, I believe. And and it's been this kind of constant progression of, you know, trying to build skis here in the USA um, when pretty much all our competitors are you know, at least in the kind of, let's call it medium brand size space are, you know, in mostly in Asia or Eastern Europe or even Northern Africa. And so, uh, so yeah, when we did it, we did it because we wanted more control over a unique technology and we were having some IP issues in China as well. And um, when we started, it was just, you know, we, we had a lot of learning to do in terms of creating efficient lean manufacturing but it's been this long journey and and uh you know as we sit today moving into this new place we've given ourselves more room uh, the last place we were we were in on the other side of town we completely outgrew it was uh you know we had like shanty town office space kind of built into this factory and just didn't have any room to expand into kind of bringing uh a lot of the the processes in house that we were outsourcing just as a function of like being a manufacturing startup, you know, we, we didn't take on everything all at once. So, so like, you know, things like, uh, milling our own wood cores or top sheet printing, for example, we, in this new space, we've, you know, we have the, the space facility and, and right people to just truly vertically integrate the, you know, the whole process, which is, which is pretty exciting. and and gives us you know the ability to finally lean it out from a from a cost perspective to the point where it, it makes economic sense and then secondly it's been like just such a huge uh boon in terms of our our R&D and in-house R&D like it just having this place has allowed us to to take leaps and bounds here over over the past year which is which has been a, a really incredible process and part of sort of I would say the the realization of the original DPS dream is, you know, like we started dreaming many years ago what skis could be and what technology for skis could be. And there's a big difference between manifesting those dreams in reality and 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 dreaming them. And and now for me personally it's incredibly fulfilling because we're we're finally building the things here that you know, especially with the carbon fiber as a basis that we dreamed of in those in those beginning years. So
0: And what percentage of DPS skis are now are, are you able to build in-house there?
1: So we build about uh it's it's a it's a good clip. It's um it's over eighty percent of our total build is is done here. And then we still you know, we still have um, the foundation line, which is uh, which is still over in in China. Um, you know where we started out. So, so it's it's a good it's a good balance I think now and and certainly like with where the market's going and where DPS is in the market and what people like want from the brand. You know, we've seen increasingly just the, you know the 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 desire where we fit in is really on that high end carbon side. So. So proportionally, it's been, you know, over the, the past year has been always an increasing percentage on the, on the U S side.
0: Huh? That's actually a much higher percentage than I would have guessed. So that's pretty interesting. 80,
1: 80%. Yeah.
0: Let's talk about Dreamtime.
1: Yeah. So we started Dreamtime. I, I believe it was 2011. I, I may be off a little bit, but, um, yeah, it was uh, Dreamtime started for two reasons. Uh, the first was that, you know, like growing up and even to this day, you, uh, you know, if you're in the sport, if you're dedicated, and it's just, I'm starting to learn how how intense that chasm is between those that are just, you know, it rules their life versus like it's a hobby if you're all in, it's like the summer, at least for me growing up, it was, you know, it was as much about trying to figure out how I could get to deep snow in the summertime. And the spring, late spring was always about, you know, dreaming of like how to get to South America and, and how to spend a season down there. Or, you know, or or if you're not doing that, um, on the seasons that you're not, you're, you're just building up that, that kind of that desire and energy for what can be accomplished in the coming season in the coming winter so so i think you know as part of the brand mission and story especially with so many routes skiing in south america dream time was precisely that you know that that time to dream of skiing midsummer when it's super hot and plan missions and you know i i remember just personally like being uh yeah just like during college and stuff when i wasn't able like in those kind of in-betweens for South America, you know, just being on Google earth or just tracing topo maps in Alaska and just having this intensity around what, what was going to come. And so, so yeah, so dream time, like from a, from a, let's call it, um, from a spiritual aspect is, is about that idea. And then in a more practical way, commercially, it was always um, a, a super important part, of our kind of cash flow as a business, uh, the ski business is ultra tough, and yeah, there's very few small and independent brands that end up thriving in it. And as we know, it's a, you know it's a very seasonal business. It's sick you know it's a it's kind of a one hit per year cycle, and the cash flow is is, is challenging, probably as as almost any business. Um, insofar as that it really helps to get a good, um, good hit of revenue in the, in the middle of summer. And so hence Dreamtime lined up the commercial with the spiritual and became a, the sale, a sales event where it was the only time of the year that we went off, off price, um, and, and asked our, or offered a discount on, on our skis. And, uh, and then secondly, it also became a, a moment to, um, you know to to offer kind of more bespoke uh one-off creations whether they're uh special top sheets uh, special edition top sheets or powderworks skis and powderworks is is kind of the like um semi kind of R&D preview uh skunkworks part of our operation where um yeah you're you're getting kind of glimpses into future technology that we've been working on and uh in skis that you can purchase uh you know before they some iteration of that tech uh, may or may not uh enter into the inline skis later but but um they're stuff that we're excited about and and kind of previewing the the direction of of the company and the design
0: so along those lines you guys are unveiling a new tour construction
1: that's correct yeah we are um we are offering um, a limited run of two different shapes, 100 RP and the classic 138 PAL surfing shape in this really super cool, exciting, cutting edge build. And it's um, it kind of like harkens back to the some of the original days of DPS and so far as when I started with Peter Turner. And we were using these kind of Chinese factories to sort of bootstrap our R and D and explore how to, to really finally build commercially viable carbon fiber skis. You know, Peter's an aerospace engineer and he, um, uh, yeah, he, he had this piece of foam for, for core material sent in this row cell foam that's basically used in like attack helicopter blades. And the stuff is just prohibitively expensive but the physical properties around it are, are incredible. And, um, you know, it, once we did the the economic analysis of the bill of materials on, you know, what it would cost to actually build a ski using this stuff, it, I mean, it was like so crazy prohibitive that that uh, block of foam just ended up sitting in that factory in China for, for years, not, not being touched. Um, fast forward to today, um, you know, I, we've found uh, this past winter we did a ton of R and D using a, a kind of a similar foam, and have figured out a way to lay it up um, much much more uh, cost effectively. But the the net result of that in conjun- that foam in a in a in a bespoke uh, kind of core configuration in conjunction with a new carbon laminate that we've also been putting through the ringer over the last year is is pretty darn special and um yeah it just it, it's it works towards kind of the overall theme of of our design and engineering track which is this kind of taming of the carbon ski perfecting the carbon ski you know the carbon is is, is has so many advantages over traditional ski building uh laminate material metal and glass insofar as its reactivity and power to weight ratio and all of these things, but it's um its weakness is is the kind of damp planted feel that you get from from glass and metal. So you know over the last fifteen years, we've been just trying to engineer ourselves uh, into a regime where that planted feel really comes out of the ski and and arguably, yeah, we've had fits and starts with it and some, you know a, a good kind of evolutionary, success in terms of building better damping into our you know into our marquee construction which started as pure became pure two then pure three then alchemist um and and so we've we've continually improved on that in an evolutionary fashion but over the last year it's it's truly become revolutionary and and this is a this is a taste of that and and what's to come and and the incorporation of this foam as as a supporting material and in, in a matrix of other materials in the core in conjunction with this laminate, the net effect is that you've got skis that are, um, you know, just, just incredibly, uh, engaging in terms of their biofeedback and feel and, and just the, the harshness that's traditionally associated with carbon is like totally gone. So you, you have this, these ultra lightweight skis that have have all the carbon ping and energy, but, um, you know, have the planted feel of skis that weigh 70 or a hundred percent more than them, which is, you know, for us is, is like a huge achievement and sort of is, is setting the stage of the, the future of where, um, where DPS is going from a, from a manufacturing and engineering standpoint. So, um, <laughs> that was a kind of a long, long-winded answer, but the, uh, yeah, the idea being that, yeah, in these two shapes, you know, we, we're, uh, 100 RP is, is a really exciting, playful kind of, um, you know, uh, slim, slim wasted one twelve that has a lot more all mountain application. And now you have this construction mated with it, which, um, you know, is, is, is like 300 grams lighter than an alchemist, which is already quite light, but yet, yet has, um, you know, just, Kind of blows it out of the water in terms of its power and feel and and damping and just ability to to charge the ski at such a lightweight. I mean, it, it's really truly unique. And then on the one thirty eight, you know, that being a classic PAL surfer, we we redid the rocker line one more time this spring, and I think it it's in a it's in a super good place where you're getting much more thrust out of the the kind of three quarter phase of, of the turn and more power. And then now you're mating it with this crazy construction that's, you know, this is a at a 192 uh, length at 138 underfoot. We're just like right at a little under 2000 grams. So um, it was something that's powerful and damp. And so it's pretty spectacular. Like that ski you can imagine for, um, you know, if you're going on a Japan, you know, more touring oriented deep pow trip or something where You can ski on something so buoyant and surfy, but yet tour it under 2000 grams. And then, you know, that if you're going to hit anything manky whatsoever, you've got a lot of power and a lot of damping built into that ski. It's, it's
0: pretty cool. Probably when people listening to this start hearing you talk about foam cores, that is going to, um, conjure up, uh, some memories and so tell me about why this should conjure up nice memories or why you want to allay certain concerns that people might have when you start talking about foam cores, which is not something we hear much about. And certainly not when we're talking about a, a manufacturer that likes to be on the cutting edge of materials.
1: Yeah. So yeah, let me get into that because I, I think it's pretty interesting. Like I think within our industry, foam is, is like, as we like say internally, it's like the F word, you know, it's, (laughs) um, it has such a bad, um, like historical, uh, reputation simply because, you know, I think as it's mostly been used in, in lower end skis and the foams have been cheap foams. Right. And, uh, and they've been mated with kind of cheap glass constructions with, with inferior resins and collectively the result is, you know, we all remember, I, I won't name a brand or whatever, but like, yeah, there's, there's been a lot of skis when, when foam was a more, um, prolific building block that, you know, you would, you would ride them for call it what a week, 15 days. And you would just start feeling the, uh, all the pop and energy just kind of, just like, it was like a tire deflating, you know, until it, just very quickly, they broke down and 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 became uh, yeah pretty shitty pretty fast right. So, um, so that's I think that's like the precedent that's been set for foam. As I mentioned before, when I was kind of getting into that long-winded story about the early days, there's a huge difference between like the foams that have been used in kind of mass commercial uh, ski building versus like, you know, a true kind of structural aerospace foam that has amazing physical properties. Um, and, and, you know, in many cases outperforms, uh, uh, woods of, of similar densities by a long shot. So, um, so yeah, and that's one part of the story. So, so, you know, you'll notice these skis are even more expensive than our, are uh typically expensive skis right so and that's simply because we're just going for ultimate performance and this is expensive foam it's not cheap pu um foam that that's traditionally gave given it the the bad rap that it has uh, and then the other element of it is is like look um you know and, and I'll, I'll just say quickly like foam isn't kind of the core you know it's not the only thing that's making these skis go and the the uh the core itself also has wood wood stringers in it too. So th- there's there's a matrix of things going on here. As I mentioned, the laminate as well. But carbon. It, this is kind of like part of the seminal sort of breakthrough that we're going through as a company and how we design skis is that you know and that and that's what's so critical to to us building here in the U.S. and having um, having our factory be here too as a as a you know, an R and D facility is simply that, you know, we're like stubbornly, maybe stupidly just obsessed with this idea of like getting the weight out via carbon yet, you know, still having all that torsional stiffness and performance and pop. But the, the issue with carbon, and this is a, you know, the result of 15 years of exploration with it is that you. And this is how we started is that you can't just make a carbon ski that um you sub out all the traditional materials that have now become established in in say glass or um or uh or teetanol ski building, right? Like it, it's its own beast and it requires its own complementary set of materials to mate well with the laminate. And it just so happens that you know, this particular foam in conjunction with particular woods and the way it's laid up and with the use of a particular laminate, um, which are all, uh, not used in conventional glass and metal ski building works super well. So carbon requires its own, uh, kind of accompanying, uh, cast in order to, to really, um, to fulfill its, its own, its own potential, if that makes sense. Yep.
0: And I do think, by the way, like we will still occasionally get the question from people or they're, they'll kind of ask things like, oh, that's a carbon ski or, or this ski has a full carbon core. And it's like, well, no, it doesn't. It's got a wood core and it's got carbon stringers on it. And at least to my knowledge, I can't think of any manufacturers who are cutting out a traditional core but making that strictly out of carbon as opposed to some type of wood
1: correct and yeah and that's that's something that i think if you know we're obviously deep in it and and you kind of take that for granted but i think yeah from a layman's perspective you know, when you say a carbon ski people are yeah like you said sometimes surprised that oh well the core isn't carbon right but if the core was carbon the ski would actually weigh uh, you know it'd be ridiculously heavy because, um, you know, the, the beauty of carbon. And again, I'm, I'm not a composites engineer. I, um, I've I've obviously been around it in terms of skis for a long time, but it's not my, my, my program, but you know, the, the, the the beauty of carbon is that you can use it, uh, you can use it as facings as the laminates, the things that surround the core to, to drop weight and increase performance, um, but that that doesn't mean the entire ski itself is carbon fiber. Um, it's, it's, it's the core, it's the, uh, the most important structural piece. And then you, you still fill in all the other materials with with kind of a more traditional build. If if it were purely carbon fiber, it would, uh, it's, it's, it would weigh a, a ton. So just, just to be clear about that part.
0: Yeah. And is it, should we clarify then again, just when we're talking about this foam, are we then still in this tour construction talking about a more or less traditional wood core that's then being wrapped in, or there's cutout sections where foam is being injected, um, and then there is also going to be more or less traditional carbon fiber stringers?
1: Yeah, I think in the uh, in the Dreamtime um, materials, I, I I know we have a uh, a. a, a A a picture of of the core layout so you can you can definitely see it there um and it's yeah it's a it's a hybrid foam wood core um for sure and it has and it's mated with an a hundred percent carbon fiber laminate which is what kind of what dps does um when you when we say carbon stringers just to be clear like i think generally those are being employed like in our foundation construction for example we have a Um, a 15 millimeter, uh, carbon stringer that runs longitudinally over the entire fiberglass laminate. And that's pretty typical for the industry. Like people will, um, they'll add carbon fiber, um, to, you know, to, to give a little bit more life or pop to the ski, but there, there's a, there's a massive chasm between adding a stringer to a construction that's fundamentally glass or metal and having a hundred percent pure carbon fiber laminate which is there's no glass there's no metal that's that's what's um like driving the characteristic and performance of the ski and that's where you really uh by by using 100 percent carbon fiber laminate meaning that carbon is the only um structural laminate in the ski that's that's where you can really realize the the beauty of carbon in so far as its strength to weight ratios its power and and at uh and it you know, at dramatically reduced weights. Once you start adding the glass back in and the metal, you're you're kind of moving yourself back up to, to, let's call it the, like a conventional build.
0: Let me ask you about the 100 RP. Would we be correct in primarily thinking of this as a shrunk down Whaler 112 RP or how much tweaking... Of the shape and the angles and rocker lines and the rest, did you do when you decided to go from a one twelve to a one hundred?
1: Yeah, it's um, there. There's a ton of similarity for sure, and the the foundational idea is is the is the same. Although there are a number of tweaks that geometrically make that shape different than the one twelve, and I can I can run through those quickly. So like the 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 core similarity is, is the overall design, i.e. you have a ski that's, um, that's heavily rockered tip and tail, and it's mated with a, um, a 15 meter radius side cut. So it's those two things together are giving you like kind of that core, um, RP, uh, vibe to it. I it's, it's really playful. It's surfy. It, you know, it, it turns very intuitively. So that's like the, the key DNA, um, of that ski, the taper angle and the side cut is this is identical. Uh, there are a couple of little tweaks. So, uh, from a geometric standpoint, um, the overall, um, and I, I don't want to totally shoot from the hip here, but just on a percentage basis, the effective edge length of the 100 RP is slightly longer than the 112. Ie, So you're going to have a little less overall rocker percentage in your tip and tail. You're going to have more, um, more side cut percentage on the 100 versus the 112 but it's within a few percent so and the, and the reason behind that is obviously the 100 being uh, more of an all-mountain shape uh we want more effective edge on that on that ski uh and less rocker but foundationally the same uh as well uh in the side cut design the the rear side cut percentage so the side cut that exists behind your midsole is slightly more on the 100 uh, rp than it is on the 112 it, it's just a little bit more supportive behind the the foot for uh, for you know more just everyday all mountain riding but the uh, the core idea as i mentioned earlier is is very similar and the and the, the yeah, the idea is to, to have that same playful, intuitive feel, but in a package that, that works um, every day in a more mixed snow and firmer snow.
0: And I'm guessing this also, the 100 is like the 112 RP, going to have a quite a traditional mount point, something in the minus 11, minus 12 range, or actually maybe even further back than that.
1: Yeah. I, uh, let's see. So, so we think about it here internally, just in a different way. It's like the, the mounting point is, is a, is a percentage of the overall ski length going from the back forward. So, um, it is slightly farther forward, uh, than the one twelfth. The Yeah. As a, as a percentage of the overall ski length, it is, um, it is, uh, about a centimeter forward on the same, given the same length of ski.
0: Okay. We've talked about this new construction which is like I mean you've made some very big claims and uh I'm I'm certainly intrigued. Let's just talk about the standard inline 1920 lineup. One of the things I guess I wanted to talk to you about or ask you about was C2. Yeah, so c2
1: is like a chassis designation a few years ago we went through a design process where you know we had been building skis for a while and what was personally frustrating me a lot was kind of the the inconsistency from one model to the other there's just so much variability in terms of like how the ski actually felt and engaged in the turn and uh, from a design perspective the idea was like can we center in on a few like s- fundamental relationships between certain aspects of of the of the skis design and put them in a hierarchy such that we could repeat that hierarchy in different models for different applications and still come away with like a core, dps signature a core dps dna that if you went from a you know a ski that was 80 underfoot up to one that was 120 you um you know the, the things that make a ski good in a turn and make it stable and reactive and and give you pleasure and smoothness that those qualities could be replicated and scaled amongst the entire line so that's the chassis concept. Is like you know when you design a new model, can we, um, yeah, can we arrange that hierarchy in such a way that we know there's, there's like elemental relationships and aspects that can be scaled to to every different shape, and and so the the chassis de- designation is really just a a reflection of that organization and hierarchy, and uh, C two would be the second iteration of of that. Um, of that kind of best, uh, best arrangement and, and then, and skis that are, that have a C2 designation are, are skis that, um, from a design standpoint, all share that same DNA. But secondly, it it also means that it's a ski that's, um, that design arrangement and that DNA is targeted towards a ski that's more directional. It's typically going to have, Less overall rocker percentage than an RP, and it's the sidecut radii are, are are radii are going to begin at eighteen and typically go up to to twenty three. So C two has become a designation for two things: one, uh, how the ski is designed in terms of its hierarchical design principles. Secondly, it's a directional, more chargy ski, whereas an RP is is the playful rockered intuitive ride, if that makes sense. And, and it's a way between designating between C2 and RP it's what we think is the, is the best way to kind of fit skis and, and for customers to really understand what kind of style of ski they're they, they think they want for their own riding. And, and it's like a clear, uh, delineation between, between yeah, two, two distinctly different ways of ski design and, and ski style.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I'm just such a big fan of that, of like different shapes, different constructions. And I think that as you guys are kind of diversifying what you're doing, I'm sort of just a bigger and bigger fan of that, right? I mean, several years ago, it was everything DPS pretty much meant, you know, lightweight carbon. And my goodness, you guys are just expanding the gamut of what you guys are doing in a ski we're going to talk about coming up here in a, in a minute but the koala 119 i mean when you're talking about a minute ago right we're talking about ultralight tour construction new foam materials to get a really lightweight carbon fiber touring ski and then the koala 119 i think is one of the heaviest skis we've ever reviewed and i love that right it's like Now it is really it's like just catering to, you know, you come in and it's like, well, what kind of skier are you? What are you into? And it just seems like more than ever, you guys are running this whole gamut in a way that I I think is really cool. In the lineup, I mean, are there any skis that you want to talk about um, either on the C2 front or the RP front?
1: Yeah, and I'll I'll also mention the koala quickly, but but just yeah, quickly like as it pertains to the season coming up, nineteen twenty. Um, on the RP side, we we mentioned this um, special build of the one hundred RP, but it's also going into the uh, into Alchemist as well, in line for nineteen twenty. And just as a shape, I mean, uh, you know, there's. Um, the 112 rp is is kind of this like love it or hate it um type shape that uh but if you love it and it fits with your style which it does for many the the 100 rp is is again yeah the more practical everyday uh kind of solution that that that's going to hopefully bring a lot of a lot of smiles to to people's faces that are that are into that rp style build right um so so, so that's really exciting for us and, and we've had really good feedback and response from it, from the market already. So I, I hope that that resonates well with, um, with that style of skier. And then, uh, and then on the C2 side, we did a full redesign of the 106, the Whaler 106, um, uh, you know, which is a little bit more, it's a more directional state shape, but, um, put just a ton of refinement into that this year. And it was, it was the test bed for a lot of the work we're doing in terms of, Real refinement, which um, you know, it's it's hard to to make as sexy from a marketing standpoint, but that's really where where uh, where where the real gains are made, kind of in that last fifteen percent of dialing in flex patterns to an obsessive degree, camber profiles, and and mating that with construction. So that new one hundred six is uh, is an incredible ski and and a huge step over the last one in the C two world. Um, and then as you mentioned, yeah, like Koala it's, uh, you know, it, uh, as we look at the entire shaping pathway and that's what we're calling it for, for 19, you've got RP, you've got C2, you've got Koala, and then you have Lotus and each of them are, a distinct shaping style and a distinct direction. So hopefully from the top end, yeah, it's, it's pretty easy to, to like portal you into, to where you want to go with your own skiing and, and what you want out of the ski.
0: So Koala 119. I really liked this ski. Um, It was a surprising ski. This is not a ski that I was expecting to come out uh, from DPS, to be honest. Talk to me a bit about it. I mean, why did you guys bother to build this thing? Will there be more freestyle oriented shapes perhaps coming in the future?
1: Uh, the answer is yes, and the roots of it really I think come from the koalas. You know the athletes that, that uh, that ski in cinematic, right? Um, a lot of them are, you know, they a lot of them have strong freestyle backgrounds and are, are really creative uh, skiers. So I, I think there is always, um, you know, they're they're at sort of the the roots of our brand too, and and yeah, gr- great friends and and yeah, we're, we're all pursuing the same thing, which, you know, for, on my side personally is more towards the, just the, the powerful power surfing aesthetic, but these guys also, you know, bring in that, that, uh, that freestyle bent to the whole thing. And, and really it's a direct result of, of what these guys, uh, wanted, wanted to be on and and how, where they want to take their own skiing and be able to accommodate that. So, so that's, you know, it's, it's pretty natural project given the the tight relationship that, that we have with these guys and, and how we all work and ski together. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's where Koala comes from and, and yeah, the reception has been really, really great on it. And I, I think, yeah, not to give away too much, but naturally, yeah, we're, we're looking at other, uh, other waist twists in that,
0: in that line in that style. So two questions that we had um, especially as like I was skiing the 119 and Lou Kappa was, and Sam Shaheen was, we were just pretty surprised actually by one, this is a heavy ski and and two, it's a pretty stiff ski for a freestyle ski. So I guess I was just interested in asking about that.
1: Yeah. And it's pretty, yeah, it's a good question. And You know, skis, um, they, they change and they evolve. And I think what's pretty interesting, uh, you know, as this ski was, was pretty koala driven, you're, you're getting, uh, you know, you'd be surprised how much, um, how many different takes there are on what people within just the koala crew, like what they want under their feet. And yeah, you've got a guy like, um. Like dash long, who, who is kind of bigger and, and, you know, or, you know, he's powerful and he's riding, uh, you know, plug boots, race boots.
0: And just sending the ever living shit out of everything. Let's put that in there.
1: Yes, for sure. I mean, yeah, totally. Yeah, totally like bold, bold style for sure. And then, <laughs> and then you have, uh, you know, a guy like Piers who is, who is super technical, but just way like kind of lighter on his skis and, and, you know, and just super, yeah, just kind of buttery and playful, um, combined with a, a really good technical basis. So, so yeah, I, I think in this first Koala you're, you're sort of, um, and what you're getting is kind of a, the more. The, um, the guys who yeah still like to land backwards and go huge, but more the more hard charging side of it coming out, and hence the you know the stiffness um, associated with it. So where where it goes in the future, uh, you know, we'll see as we keep as we keep working through it. But yeah, I think in this in this first iteration of it, um, yeah, certainly the it it got as you guys noticed, it it definitely leans more towards that stable chargey but yet you know ability to to kind of land
0: backwards design it's a cool ski and it's going to be cool to see where you guys go with that um i'm certainly not a koala but uh i my vote keep keep a lot of that weight in there but we thought it could actually go just a bit softer so that's that's a little that's a blister uh you know two cents that the koalas can promptly reject or, you know, we do whatever they want. But, um,
1: you're, I think you guys are spot on actually. And, and as we go, as we went to production that, that actually happened. So we, we, we tuned, uh, we tuned a little bit out of it. So
0: that we were thinking the same thing. Sweet. Great minds. I've got to ask you on about two updates. One, as those who have, uh, listen to some of our previous podcast conversations, we had a big old discussion a while ago about um, the DPS ski boot. And man, you guys have been working on a whole lot of stuff. So I guess my my hunch would be that you wouldn't, I don't know where you would have had time to con- continue to be doing ski boot development, but uh, I don't know. What's the update on the the DPS ski boot?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, just personally, that's for sure my like deepest, passion project and you know little did I know when we started it how how really just time consuming it would be to to iterate through it to get it to where we wanted it to go it, you know as we I think it's probably most people know it, you know as we've kind of like teased it out before it's super radical it's it's a different concept and and with that um you know similar to skis like you know when I I was talking before about this kind of 15 year journey to like tame carbon fiber, um, you know, biting off a, a pretty radical boot design is, is, uh, is a similar, if not more challenging piece. So, um, yeah, we're, we've been plugging away at it here and, and, you know, as we speak, there's, um, new molds being cut and, and new laminates being assembled to for the, for the next prototype. But the, um, Yeah, certainly, you know, as you mentioned, there's a lot going on and with Phantom being what it was and and being ready to, to be commercialized at a, at a quicker, a quicker clip, like that certainly sucked a lot of the oxygen out of the air and, and, or out of the room. And, uh, and then the boots while still a constant R and D project, um, yeah, they're not like, it's, it's just kind of, it's going at its pace, uh, in the background. So we're, we're still, we're still plugging, um. In a methodical way, and super excited about where the design is. I think we're we're actually getting pretty darn close right now, and um, and yeah, it's just it's radical and really cool, and we've made all these amazing discoveries around it. So um, yeah, I, I guess my my message is like you know I'm I, I'm as frustrated as anyone in terms of the the timeline it's taken to get it to market, and there's still a lot of work to do, but but we're we're plugging plugging away.
0: Wow. I honestly, I fully expected you to be like, yeah, we just had to kind of table that as we've been working on a lot of other stuff, but you know, we'll kind of get back to that someday. So, so to hear that you actually haven't just sort of tabled it fully is, um, I don't know, sort of impressive and interesting to me.
1: Yeah. It, it may not be the smartest thing, you know, <laughs> like you said, like, uh, but I, you know, we're not, um, yeah, it's, it can go on and off to table pretty quickly, depending on you know where we have to focus our resource here. and it's it's not like overbearing at all in terms of cost right now or or time. So uh, it's got its own little crew that that's charging away and knows knows what needs to be done. so
0: last thing, I was interested in getting a phantom update from you. So maybe just in case uh, there are some people who don't know, Give me the quick description of phantom and let me know where things stand with it today.
1: Yeah, so um, so phantom is it's a gliding additive to bases. It, it can, in some cases, replace the need for wax. It's a permanent uh, base treatment that penetrates into the amorphous regions of the polyethylene, which ski bases are made of, and then creates a chemical bond that's initiated by UV light to to basically bind um, go fast uh, monomers to the base to make ski bases faster. So that's the kind of core idea. It's uh, it's permanent in the sense that if you when you stone grind and con- and condition the base, uh, you're exposing a new layer of phantom. So uh, the idea being that um, no matter how many times you tune, you still have a, a a ski base that that has better gliding properties than one that does not have phantom on it. Phantom it's, has evolved pretty radically in, in both commercially and in terms of its chemistry. From the chemistry aspect, I would say, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty, uh, yeah, it's super technical. And, and you know, we, we have a, a team of chemists that are that are just continual, continually evolving it from a performance standpoint. So that's been a, um, a, a pretty cool ride to see. And then from a commercial standpoint, you know, it's, it's really just getting off the ground because the, the cure station, which is this UV box, like a tanning bed for skis or snowboards, if you will, that's the key component that makes it work in the market. And, um, and yeah, we, we basically we need, uh, you know, shops to, to buy them and adopt them and use them in order for the, the, the whole, um, ecosystem to work. So, you know, it was just, uh, just right at the end of last year that we finally, that we shipped our first care stations um, and there's there's about uh, uh it's close to a couple hundred of them out in the field now that came in through the the first quarter of this year and obviously we're building um, a lot more now to deliver uh this fall and so so that's super exciting that that needs to happen in order to um to really kind of spread the mes- message and and give it the accessibility to the market that that it needs in order to to succeed.
0: So in addition to there being more of these curing stations around and making that maybe easier for more folks to have phantom applied, is there any new data you guys are getting or any new chemical tweaks you're doing to this? I'm, I'm curious about either real world results that are coming in or updates to the chemistry itself of this product.
1: Right. So, um, so the, the deal with Phantom being so radical and such a kind of paradigm shift from the long established world of, of waxing, um, from our standpoint, you know, we're, we're working really hard to, to um, you know, to, to get the data that, that backs up the, the theoretical science. So the practical data that um, substantiates Phantom's claims and in that process, uh, what's been really exciting is like we've discovered these kind of corollary applications for phantom. I, I can't I can't talk too much about them, but there's, you know, for example, there's a really interesting um, uh, medical application to the to the base chemistry. And then while uh, you know, um, Phantom can exists on its own as a replacement to wax. We're also, uh, what's what's coming out is really interesting is is um, some I, I can't get too into this but uh, but just some very compelling data about how phantom also plays in conjunction with wax. So there'll be uh, there'll be more uh, coming out um, along those lines and some more research to be done but but overall the the entire project is is pretty exciting and the base chemistry itself has, lent itself to all these really cool kind of corollary, uh, avenues
0: of exploration. Interesting. Well, we've had good results, uh, with the skis that we have and have been testing that have been phantom treated. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm already on record saying that, like, it's something that I've gotten along with quite well, and I'll be kind of curious to see both where it continues to go and, uh, to hear more about this, uh, the data that you guys are getting on it.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, it's, uh, well, one, that's awesome to hear and yeah, I personally have loved it as well. And, and, uh, yeah, just, as you can imagine, excited to see like, yeah, where, where it goes from here and, and how it evolves both in the market and, and as a fundamental technology as well.
0: Well, hey, man, uh, man, we just covered a lot of ground. I, I was expecting it to somehow be a sleepier conversation, but um, it doesn't sound like you guys are uh, resting too much uh, at the moment.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's been a wild couple of years here, I would say, and we're, yeah, just the the push has been incredible, and, and the pipeline that's come out is, is pretty cool, and this U.S. factory, I, yeah, it's It's been exciting. And, um, yeah, I don't mean to be like overly claimy on some of the stuff we talked about before, but I I truly do believe in my heart of hearts that, that there's, there's some pretty phenomenal, you know, if you're, if you're a nerd kind of like, like I am here and, and just like obsessed with, with just, you know, how, how we can make that ski experience. Deeper, you know, more more connected, and, and just ultimately more powerful. Like I, I think there's some just there's some awesome, cool uh, technology that's that's going to support that idea coming out soon. So, uh, yeah, it's been stressful, exciting, and
0: and pretty fun. Well, hey, great to talk, Stefan, and good to catch up. And uh, yeah, best of luck as you continue working on all of these things.
1: Yeah, cheers, Jonathan. Always uh, appreciate you having me on and and talk and shop. It's, it's fun to, to get it all out. So I, I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> well, cool. We'll, uh, we'll do it again sometime down the line and, uh, yeah, you take care. All right. Cheers, man. That's it for this edition of gear 30. Thanks to Stefan for the conversation and be sure to check out dot to learn more about their dream time event, and then check out the show notes to this episode for the links to my three other conversations with Stefan. Thanks also to Luke Alley for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. And if you are enjoying these episodes or any of our other podcast episodes, we would very much appreciate it if you would leave us a nice little rating or review in iTunes, and also, of course, spread the word to your gearhead friends. Thanks, everybody. Please be safe out there, and we will talk to you again next week.